snappers, on today's show, I can't wait to introduce you to one of the most interesting people to ever get behind the steering wheel. Georgia Durante. When I was younger, I had this thirst for danger and excitement. I hopped a freight train when I was nine years old and ran away from home. It wasn't because I had a bad childhood. I had a wonderful childhood. I had parents that loved me. I had dinner on the table at five o'clock. I just wanted to see what was out there. At that point in my life, I would have joined a posse going in any direction as long as there was danger and excitement. Georgia grew up in Rochester, New York, near the headquarters of Kodak. In fact, she became the Kodak poster girl, literally. It was a life-size image of myself, and I was in a blue and white polka dot bikini. Georgia moves from upstate New York all the way down to the Big Apple. She finds a place and quickly gets a job as a bartender, working for a guy named Frankie. And Frankie's bar is a mob bar. And if you imagine something out of Goodfellas, that's pretty much right. One night, I'm behind the bar. Everything is just pretty light and happy. This guy came in. I knew that this guy was kind of a thorn in Frankie's side for some reason. He ordered a drink, and I set it down in front of him, and then I see he pulls out a gun. I couldn't move. I couldn't run. I couldn't, I couldn't hide. I, I just stood there, frozen. All I could see was the barrel of the gun. The gun goes off. The guy right next to him falls to the ground. Everybody just scattered. Frankie grabbed me and pulled me out, and we ran down the street. We're, like, hiding in this doorway. Frankie says, there's the shooter. Kiss me. He didn't want him to recognize us as he was walking by. I really thought that was going to be our last kiss. The guy just quickly walked by us and never even turned in our direction. As soon as he passed us, we ran back. Nobody was there, and the guy was laying on the ground, bleeding profusely. That's when Frankie threw me the keys, and he says, Georgie girl, pull up the car. I pulled up the car, they threw him in the back seat, and I drove him to Bellevue Hospital. We got in front of the emergency room, I beeped the horn, they pulled his body out of the car, and we took off. The guy did live, but uh, it was a few months later that they ended up getting him anyway. That's, uh, that's how my driving career started. <laughs> All they talked about was, man, Georgie girl, can you drive a car? Now, several of the mob guys approached Georgia to be their driver, for their jobs. What kind of jobs? Well, Georgia wasn't clear at first. All they asked was that Georgia drive them to a house, that Georgia wait a half hour or so, and then that Georgia drive them home. What could go wrong? What I was doing, I thought, was fairly innocent. I assumed what these guys were doing was collecting the VIG. The VIG is the interest that mob loans these guys money and they collect big interest. 
sometimes they have to break legs or arms or bones to to get it. (laughs) Well, I wasn't in on that part of it. I would just wait around the corner of the car. But what they were actually doing was robbing these places. One night, I'm waiting, as I normally do, and I see in my rearview mirror the guys running up to the car, and I see that they have their guns out. They get up to the car, flung open the doors, and said, Step on it. And I heard sirens in the distance. I took off. The sirens were getting louder and louder. And then I could actually see them in my rearview mirror. I had to get away. There was traffic, and I had to get around this traffic or we were going to get caught. So I ended up clipping some mirrors trying to squeeze through these cars. And then at some point I had to actually go over the sidewalk and and back on the street. Now I'm starting to create the distance. I saw this alley and I said, let's just pull in there and just get lost. And that's what I did. I pulled in there. And just maybe 30, 40 seconds later, the cops just went whizzing by with their sirens on. I knew I had lost them. Then I got all kinds of praises from the guys. Georgie girl, that was a good job. You you really saved our asses, you know. I realized at that point, you know, this is really I'm I'm in too deep here. But, you know, it's like how, how do you how do you get away? You know, how do you stop? Driving a getaway car was one thing. But getting away from the mob, that was something else entirely. See, Georgia knew stuff. She'd seen the game go down, and if she left, who knows? They might think maybe she'd testify against them. And they couldn't have that. So, Georgia stayed. It took several years in another mob bar before Georgia saw her next big opportunity to escape. She was having a drink with a friend, and wouldn't you know it. This guy walks over and he straddles the seat and he's hanging on every word. I feel him there. I'm not looking at him, but he's making me very uncomfortable. Finally, I looked up at him and he looks he looks me straight in the eye and he says, "I'm going to marry you." Who is this jerk, right? <laughs> he said his name was Joe. Joe and Georgia started dating. While we were dating, it was like a whirlwind. It was all exciting. Everything was champagne and limousines. It was a lifestyle that I thought was pretty cool. Uh, I ended up marrying him, just like he said. And then the day we got married is the day he changed. I became his possession. He started dictating who I could hang around with, who I could talk to. It's weird to say this, but Joe's crazy possessiveness, it had one big upside. Because he kept Georgia at home, because he insisted she stay at home, it meant she could no longer play the getaway driver. And because Joe had a very nasty reputation, no one gave Georgia any grief for getting out of the game. But it got worse. At that time, my daughter was, she was two. 
she would climb up on the, on the kitchen counter and she would jump into his arms and they were laughing and having a good time and she'd climb back up again and she'd jump again and then she'd do it a third time and the fourth time she got up, he moved out of the way and let her fall to the floor and then he said, there, that'll teach you never to trust anybody. I was always trying to leave. I was always trying to get away from him. And um, I was packing things up and he came in and saw that, you know, I was planning on leaving, and he says, you really want to leave? He says, okay, you, you can leave. He pushed me down and put a gun to my head. He had just put one bullet in the chamber, and then he twirled the chamber around, and he says, how bad do you want to leave? Of course, I'm, I'm begging for my life and saying, no, I'll stay, I'll stay, I won't go, I won't go. He actually pulled the trigger. You know, uh, finally, you know, I, I guess he believed me and uh, took the gun away from my temple, and I stayed, you know, I stayed. It wasn't until years later when Georgia decided that she'd sacrificed too much. My daughter's playing in the pool, and she's seven at this time. There's these little girls that she's playing with, and she's having fun, and she's laughing. And I looked up from my book hearing her laugh and realized that I had not heard her laugh in a long time. And my heart just broke. I mean, I was so immersed in my own pain that I didn't see hers, and and I saw it for the first time. It just broke my heart. I didn't think. I mean, I just reacted. And I could see my, my husband playing tennis below me. And so I knew where he was, and I got up, and I took her by the hand, I I just grabbed whatever I could, whatever clothes, and I threw them in the car, and I just got in the car, and I'm shaking, and, you know, knowing that, you know, he could be coming up any minute. So now I'm driving down the path, and I'm going past the tennis courts, and he sees me, and he stops dead in his tracks, and he just looks at me like, you better turn around if you know what's good for you, and I just kept going. I ended up in uh, Hollywood, and the I, 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 only reason why I knew I was there was because I could see the Hollywood sign through the smog. We lived in the car, and I'm trying to figure out what the heck am I going to do. And, you know, I mean, the only thing I'd ever done was, was, was model, so I didn't, I didn't have any other skills. I can't model because, you know, he'll figure out where I am. The mob will figure out where I am. I didn't know who wanted to kill me. Anyway, I'm watching a lot of TV, and it seems like every time there's a commercial, it's a car commercial. And then I really started to look at it and realized that you could never see the driver. I said, that's perfect. I could do that. I would show up on the sets and and just bug these directors, and they would just kind of look at me like, yeah, sure, she can drive, you know. But I kept doing it. I didn't give up. I just kept, you know, showing up, and this one director said, um... He says, you know, I'm really kind of sick of seeing your face. He says, I'm going to give you a shot. He says, you show up on Tuesday and we'll see what you can do. He says, if you don't do well, he says, I don't ever want to see your face again. (laughs) Anyway, I showed up on Tuesday and showed him what I could do. And and he was impressed and told the next guy and the next guy. And before I knew it, I was turning down work. Well, I got my thrills, um, you know, when when I'm working. I go fast, and you know the, the the heart's beating fast. And are you gonna make it? You know? 
Now, don't believe for a moment that the Georgia of the stunt track isn't going to be the Georgia driving next to you on the road. Oh, yes. Coldwater Canyon is like a very windy uh, mountain road. I love driving that canyon because I can drive it like it's a racetrack. I come to a, a truck in the road that's going like 20 miles an hour. I mean, come on. And it's not a place where you can pass because, you you know, you can't see what's around the corner. After driving like that for five minutes, I, you know, I just took a chance and it was kind of stupid. But, you know, I just couldn't take it behind that, behind that guy any longer. So I passed him. And once I passed him, I'm doing 40 now. And all of a sudden he can do 40. He's right on my tail. And I get to the bottom of the hill and there's a light. And I look in my rearview mirror and this guy gets out of the car and he weighed about 250 pounds. He's a six foot five and you know he's coming over to my car. So I just went through the red light and it's like two o'clock in the morning. There's no, nobody on the road. To go home, I would have had to go straight. But I took a right because I didn't want him following me home. And he jumps back in his car and he starts chasing me down Ventura Boulevard. I'm ahead of him about maybe 200 yards, and he's just not gonna go away. So what I did was I pulled a 180 and I came back at him directly in his lane, and we were like coming up together head on. And I could see his eyes, his eyes were as big as saucers, and he swerved to miss me and he just kept going straight. <laughs> uh, but. You know, my everyday driving, I drive, you know, like like a grandma, actually, <laughs> on the street. Big thanks to Georgia Durante in Los Angeles. She's the author of the book, The Company She Keeps. We'll have a link on our website, snapjudgment.org. That piece was produced by Nick Vanderkolk with Renzo Gorio.